0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate Campbell, welcome to this very special episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Good to be back, Owen. Yes, I said very special because we've got none other than Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Claude, how are you going, mate?
1: I'm happier for being here. Uh, Good to chat to you guys both.
0: Yeah. um, It's been a long time coming. You've been on the Investors Podcast, the Australian Investors Podcast, quite a few times. So um, you'll be familiar to many of our listeners. But it's the first time on the Finance Podcast. And we're bringing in um, the expert, being you, for a discussion about kind of shareholder activism, what this whole thing about aware, socially aware investing conscious capitalism, all this good stuff we've heard about before, to try and pick your brain about what we can do better with our money and our investment dollars, and really just pay attention. So, Cord, maybe a good place to start, actually, is just how did you come to do what you do today? And tell us a little bit about A Rich Life.
1: Well, uh, it's always hard to know where to start with those stories. And I've told parts of the story before. Um, So perhaps I'll just fast forward to the bit when uh, I created my first website, which was for uh, blogging about stocks, which is kind of relevant in this um, particular discussion because it was called Green Equities. And I don't think many people know about that and Mm. it doesn't exist anymore. But my first sort of experience, like my first idea when I wanted to write about stocks is I wanted to write about stocks that would specifically, you know, be good for the environment because I, uh, you know, love trees and nature and wildlife and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I basically wanted to find a way to align me making money and other people making money with also, you know, saving the environment. Um <laughs> And then, you know, I think that the first sort of, that essentially the, that first iteration in some senses failed because I was too focused on uh, what I would call, you know, more pie in the sky, like green tech kind of companies, which just generally speaking um, often promise a lot and de- deliver very little. I think, you know, I've talked before about my first actual investment, which was a company called Ceramic Fuel Cells uh, and that just the, the stock price went up because I bought it in February 2009 and I thought I was really smart for a while. But, of course, throughout all the journey of, of that kind of investing and in green equities, the initial website, I sort of started to realise, oh, it would be really hard to um, find high-quality companies if I was so narrow in my focus. So I decided to broad it, broaden it out to... Um, uh, anything that I sort of considered ethical. So then my next website was Ethical Equities, which I did for a while and I had a fair bit more success with in terms of the companies that I I was personally buying and researching and writing about. You know, they did much better. And, um, you know, it was at that point that like I then I was hired by the Motley Fool and 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 worked there for quite a few years, uh, ultimately as advisor of the small cap service Hidden Gems uh, for separate reasons. You know, I like to invest in small smaller companies. And, um, you know, through that time, obviously, that wasn't an ethical investing service. So, like, I had to put aside, like, some of my ethical investing passion for that role. But, of course, now, um, you know, I went after Motley Fool. I eventually went, you know, immediately started doing ethical equities again because that was my sort of passion. And eventually that's turned into, like, a column now at a greater publication which covers arts and news, which is a rich life. Um, and I have my ethical investing column for that, where I, where I write about my, my journey as an ethical investor.
0: Mm, so that's a richlife.com.au. Um, and you cover more than just, as you said, more than just stock market investing. But um, as we are just talking off air before, there's, there's so much that you do offer. Um, you're, you have a, like a, a premium version or like a supporter's version some, for people to support the website, which you open periodically. And then you have a free version where any of our listeners could go on and just read some of your articles, whether they be on investing or arts or culture. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I've just as you know had a really busy week this week because uh you know my my biggest long term holding, Prometicus um, reported. We wrote about. I wrote my like traditional report about that that um, results, uh, which I still own. That shows that coming, of course, and. Um, you know, we've had other ones. There are others on the website. You've been just as busy at Rask, of course. Um, been trying to catch up on reading some of your stuff as well. Uh, but um, you know, that that's what I do now for sure. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, that that's the, that's my investor as a journey. That's my journey as an investor. And um, I guess the main point there is really like it was from the beginning for me that I like wanted to be an ethical investor. Like that was the original idea for me. Actually, previous to that, I actually wanted to work in the renewable energy industry, but I had this passion for investing. So I was trying to combine the two basically. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, we've spoken a lot on the podcast before and, And um, some of our listeners will have taken Owen's ethical investing course on RASC education. But we've spoken a lot about ethical investing from a general perspective um, in sort of sort of a catch all lens. But I wanted to get you on today, Claude, to talk about how you view ethical and sustainable investing and how how do you apply some of these principles to your own um, investing approach?
1: Cool, yeah. So I think that one uh, useful way to think about ethical investing is basically just to, you know, uh, draw a link between the profits you make and the effects those profits have on other people. Now, that doesn't mean that there's certain things you can invest in and there's certain things you can't. That is always, in my, like, you know, in an ideal world, that is up to the individual. Of course, the way the finance system works is people have to pull their money together unless they're going to be, you know, managing their own share portfolios, um, which is what I do, but, you know, not for everybody. But the point is that all of those people, whether as individuals or in an ETF that's an ethical ETF, is they're basically drawing the link between what they're doing to make profits um, and, you know, their own and, and them caring about that. Whereas other people would take the, event, you know, the perspective that, doesn't matter how those profits were um, achieved. I, I'll just be happy with them anyway. Now, as it happens, if you take that definition, I actually think most people are ethical investors to a to a degree, right? So, people, most people who um, wouldn't consider themselves ethical investors, they still would not invest in something that they knew to be fraudulent. That they were going to like. There's going to be a victim you know Mm. the money was to go and do some sort of crime like hey you know mate you give me money and you know that's how a drug deal works, right someone's Mm. providing the money and then they'd go and do all this criminal activity most people wouldn't do that and for some of them I guess it's because they're scared a bit getting caught but I would dare say for a majority of people like actually the reason that they never wanted to do um you know heroin deals or whatever (laughs) is because they just think they don't want they think that's bad and they're they're against it you know Mm. so um, I think, in a sense, the majority of people are ethical investors. It's just that you, everybody decides for themselves how much they're going to let their ethics impact their investment decisions.
0: It's it's a fascinating way to look at it, right? Um, and I think it's just apt. It's really simple, right? Most people don't think of the source of profits. They just think of profits. Um, so can you explain a little bit more than? About how people, whether they're investing in shares or ETFs, can make sure that they're investing, I guess, according to their own principles.
1: Um, yeah, for sure. So I think obviously uh, sites, sites like you know Rask have, have great resources here as well. But you know, basically, a, a first a first step is to um, you know try to fi- define for yourself like what you want to be investing in and what you don't want to be investing in. And for me, for example, I think it's probably easiest to talk about myself. Like for me, that changed as I got older as well. Um, when I was younger, I like actively was like, I must be investing in, in clean tech. Like that's the only thing I want to invest in basically. Um, and then as I got older, I, I basically changed my definition of what I wanted to invest in for ethical reasons Um but you know i still for example would would have i personally avoid coal and so that's a that's a point where people can disagree so if you're going to look at an etf that there's an ethical etf one of the classic things over the years and where where you have sort of mm, problems with this kind of thing is there might be somebody who actually like me doesn't want to invest in coal but they've invested in an etf that you know does invest in coal or coal adjacent things, or, or actually here's a, a real life example is um, banks that lend massively to coal mines, right? And so that's why um, it's the, the beta shares ethical ETFs for me, they've always had an appeal to me because they were the first, as I understand it, they were the first ETS, um, like Effie and Fair, they were the first ETFs in Australia that said, hey, we're not going to own shares in the big banks because they're funding so much fossil fuels. Whereas previously, for example, Australian Ethical, which is a super fund, I own shares in Australian Ethical and have still some super with them, but they have historically invested in banks. So if something like that matters for, matters for you, you, you've got to go and look at the different competing products out there and find their product disclosure statements and figure out what their actual mm-hmm. um, what their actual policies are and see which one aligns better better to you. Um, that, that was a sort of like a real life example of that to me, because I've always think I prefer the beta shares one, but I guess my inertia meant that I left my superannuation with Australian ethical and also they're quite good managers.
2: Mm-hmm. And I know when we were putting the ethical course together, we we created this really extensive checklist to think through all those different things that you might not want to invest in um, and otherwise you might not have a problem with. And I think that really comes down to that values because when it comes to like animal testing and, as you mentioned, coal, tobacco, wine, uh, weapons, everyone has really different perspectives. So I think it's it is important to first work out all of those different things and what they mean to you, and whether you want to be invested in them directly, indirectly, or whether it's a bank that's lending to them.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Okay, and the thing is, we all have different priorities as well. Like just so, just so if you're going to do it in an ETF or in a fund, you're never going to have a final say on every single company. Mm. So it's really, in some ways, it's about if, you, if you're going to do ethical investing like that, um, then it's just about finding good fits. And at that point, your priorities matter as well. Like for some people, it might just be, look, I actually am not that stringent ethical investor, but as it happens, like I've seen the, the absolute havoc tobacco has wreaked on my own family, perhaps their own grandfather or or father or mother died of lung cancer or something like that. When they were very young, these tragedies happen. People draw the line. Like they see that in their life and, and, and they can be many people. They see something like that. And they're like, I don't have the bandwidth or the passion to get stuck into the exact, you know, activities of all these companies in an ETF that I own, but I have one place I draw the line, which is I just, just mm. make sure it's not tobacco, you know. Mm. And that's ethical investing. That mm. is absolutely ethical investing. That is powerful ethical ethical investing that has an impact on tobacco stock prices, such that through dividend reinvestment, it you know it makes these things actually um, a good investment because their price is perpetually lower because so many people shun it. Um, but that also creates the policy and social environment where governments can turn around and strike blows against these tobacco companies because um, every single person that's losing out when the government taxes tobacco more or the tobacco company, the investors, they are people that everybody has known that like somebody's got to tax it more, you've got to make people smoke less so they're healthier. They know it's coming, right? Because the ethical investment movement left it, that made it, it gives a social license more to politicians and people to say, hey, we should absolutely just hurt tobacco companies and their shareholders with with laws. It creates the environment where that can happen. Mm-hmm. So it does make a difference in my view. Absolutely. It's part of it.
2: Mm. Mm. And I think another thing we wanted to talk about was a lot of companies over the last few years, especially fund managers, have seen ethical investing as a A good way to jump on a trend, let's say, and potentially uh, make money through fees and running a fund that the fund managers might not necessarily align with those values. They're just offering this product because there's a strong retail investor interest. And I know a lot of our listeners have mentioned they're looking more into ethical ETFs, ethical managed funds, ethical super funds. So how do you um, make sure you're not just investing in a product that's sort of greenwashing, like say, and you're actually investing in a company or a fund or a super fund that's really believes in ethical investing in the same way that you do?
1: Well, that's a good question. It's also quite a difficult one. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a few elements to um, unpack in it. Uh, so, I think, overarchingly, there's there's one, que- there's one important point to make in response to that question, which is <coughs> you, you talk about, I guess, like, you know, the, the idea of greenwashing and the intentions and the reasons that certain people are acting in certain ways. And for some people, understandably, it, it could make a difference whether somebody is cynically trying to give an ethical e- investing product simply because they want to make money by attracting people and, and other people that, like, sort of truly are doing it or at least the DNA of that company comes from, um, you know, wanting to do the right thing. And um, it's also possible that the cynical people that are following, they still achieve good, you know? it's Because the real people that are driving that are the people out there who might be interested in ethical investing, which mm-hmm. creates the demand, which then creates this cynical supply response of greenwashing. But as long as you... As long as you're willing, if, if you think someone might be greenwashing, there's always a risk they're not actually doing a good job. But, you know, if they are, um, then they're still probably achieving a good thing anyway. So that's the thing I'll say up front when I talk about some of the players here, um, is that it's probably it's all good even if one, if, even if one is greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to answer the question more directly, um, I think that you have to like, you follow the history of what the, of the people. And, you know, we could, um, we can talk about, for example, perhaps the reason I invest with Australian ethical, and I just, this is not meant to sound like an ad for them. I'm going to take my super away from them and put in an e- SMSF. But like the reason I did historically is because, um, <clears throat> well, first of all, they've been doing it for ages. Like they were around years before anyone else. They were started mm-hmm. by like, um, as I understand it, uh, you know competing groups of like well-meaning ethical investor minded people in my, um, I have had in my I have had in my mum's house I think like you know all of these historical documents and, and annual reports and stuff that pertain to um, Australian ethical investments as it is today because I'm friends with um, someone who was a, a lifelong ethical investor who was involved with them at the very start. In fact, Australian ethical, you know bought out that that company ultimately um uh, of which I was also a shareholder um so there is a long history and they've had the internal disagreements and fights about things as well but that it's a long-standing history of like I guess greeny boomers for want of a better description that sort of started this thing and driven it a long way and I just think that there is like a lot of good in, the, in for all inter, in like maneuverings over the years. I think there's like a lot of uh, integrity in, the, in that company DNA. So hence I have a soft spot for them. Um, and then, but of course, how, how can you criticize the well-meaning nature of something like Future Super, which you know, um, is started by like climate activists in response partly to the fact that Australian Ethical was investing in Westpac essentially, And they wanted to have a climate, you know, a climate friendly super option. And that's how the beta shares ones that I was talking about, the ETS, that's what created the demand for those beta shares ETS, which you can now just directly buy on the stock market with lower fees, which is a great product of which everyone's benefited. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of good people that have done a lot of good things over the years in this space. But then, of course, you also do have like down at the bottom of the pile, you know, you know, I, I don't think it would matter for me to say this, but like historically I think it's fair to say that AMP, for example, has uh, put out some, you know, ethical investing products, which I've found less than impressive. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I would hope, you know, I would, it, I don't think I would put it, I would put it out there that, you know, people would have invested in their, those products thinking that they were more ethical than they were put it that way mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. And then you've also got, you know, the, the adherence, like there's an interesting vibe, an interesting movement, especially amongst certain people who tend to be older, but not always, but yeah, mostly are older people, where they almost find ethical investing like offensive, like for some reason, um, to the point where they'll, they'll attack it and say, oh, it's, it's wrong to, you know, there's been articles basically saying that, you know, ethical investing is bad, and then those same organisations that publish those articles, like subsequently, you know, 10, 20 years later, they're like putting out, you know, or oh, here's our ethical fund offering, you know. And, you know, on the happy side, that means that there's change within the organisation and that's get organisations getting better and more open to it. So that's good as well. So I think there's probably, on the one hand, some really great actors that have acted with Big Heart and there are some companies that I think like AMP, which I would probably never back them to be, a great option for ethical investing. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, you've got a whole bunch of companies in the middle who I think they're being changed by um, the younger generation coming up.
0: What um, what resources can people use to kind of go about their research and get to know companies? I'm thinking like, and your reports, yeah. like trolling the internet. Like how would you do it? Any sites or anything that you would... So are we talking
1: to? more about individual companies now?
0: Yeah. Like let's say you wanted to learn about a company like, so like, um, like a, like a share on the stock market. Let's
1: yeah, say, for sure. How would
0: you determine where would you go to find answers to kind of yeah, the ethical I think, clues?
1: So first, the first thing you've got to check for is you've got to make sure you check like, I guess the investor webpage or the annual report. So you understand all of its big is its business units, right? That would be the first step for new players. And I'll tell you why that's important because otherwise you could look at something like Woolworths and be like, I shop at my Woolworths. I like it. You know, they do delivery and also like my mate works there and they're fine. So you like that company. Um, But unless you check the annual report, historically you wouldn't have realized that they were like the biggest owner of pokey machines in Australia.
0: Mm.
1: So you've just got to check that you you know all the businesses they own. Um, Now, as it happens, you know Woolworths is divesting all of that stuff now. So that's, that's a historical observation. But once you know all of the businesses that that actual stock owns, then I actually think that for most people, a very, very quick Google of all of the businesses, just have a quick look at it as a consumer. Um, 90% of the time, if you just spend two minutes understanding each of their businesses, make sure you know what it is and what it does, Um, that will give you all, like, 90% of the information you will probably need to make any ethical decisions you need to make. It's definitely, like, the the one thing I find interesting is that the funds management industry has generated this, like, extremely um, heavy apparatus to, like, rate things on environmental social governance ESG factors. Mm. Um, but I don't think that's actually a good like that process has value don't get me wrong because that process can pick up things that might otherwise be hidden but I think for most like most of us most consumer people you'll get it you're going to get it mostly right as long as you just know what you're investing in mm. um, and and you can change your mind as new information comes to mind like a, an interesting one to talk about is TazSail which went from being like back in the day like it was including by myself, considered very much a green stock because it farmed salmon rather than depleting wild salmon. But then as some of the impacts and potential animal animal rights kind of implications of salmon farming starts coming into it and people learn more, then a lot of people, also myself included, sort of moved away from thinking that that's something we were Mm -hmm. keen. And now you see um, Andrew Forrest getting involved in salmon farming stuff and saying that he wants it to be like you know, cruelty-free
2: or whatever. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, I think that's that's also if you are approaching investing with an ethical view, you do have to keep an eye on these companies because they they pick up other companies along the way, they split off companies like your Woolworths example. And so it might have been ethical before and now it doesn't quite fit with your values or the other way around. And so keeping on top of things is really important, I think, when it comes to this.
1: Actually speaking about the different parts of the companies is without maybe be a good time to talk about um, RPM global. Sure. Um, no. Well, so RPM global basically is a company that Owen and I, I think um, have both looked at over the years and I think Owen might own shares. Yep. And um, basically it's a company that does mining software. Uh, so largely I won't give the, explanation of the company, because I don't know it that well, but that's the large and interesting part of its business. However, it has also had two other businesses, uh, one of which is sort of involved in, you know, getting new coal mines built, uh, coal, like essentially coal exploration, I think. I hope that's a fair enough summary.
0: Yep, it um, is, yeah.
1: And <clears throat> as an analyst years ago working for Motley Fool, I came across this company and I thought, oh wow, this is an awesome, you know, investment opportunity, just due to the way that the, that it was getting its uh, software business in order, and, and the way that I thought that that would grow, um, under the under the management that had taken over. Um, however, and I recommended to my clients, but however, I I didn't invest in this overall company just because I just didn't feel right about. Um, the part that was involved in new coal mines, I actually didn't have a problem about a, a, comp- a company providing software to mining companies. <clears throat> mining companies need um, need to exist and they need software. I just don't want to get involved in new coal. So I actually walked away from that one and, and it's performed extremely well since. So I, br- I bring this up um, because I'll sing the praises of ethical investing in a minute, but I bring this up as an example, as a real-life example of where, um, you know, I could have made the call differently and I don't think it would have been terrible to do so because, for example, I could have invested in this company. I would have done very well. I could have just taken some of my profits and um, I could have used that to, like, fight coal mines or something. So maybe that would have been a better result and people can make that argument. But when it comes down to it for me, uh, <clears throat> I couldn't invest in it because I didn't have an affinity for that business and I wouldn't have liked it very much. And I would have, it would have constantly made me feel bad to know that I owned that just because I really am against new coal mines. So what would have happened is something would have happened when there was some slight wobble in that company, when something went slightly wrong or was not as good as I thought. I would have probably instantly sold those shares anyway because I've always been i always been looking for an excuse not to own them. So I just didn't have the right psychology and DNA to actually be the person that bought that shares, hold those shares and did really well out of it. So it becomes a little bit moot at that point about the whole idea. You can say, hey, but Claude, you could have bought the shares and sold them for a profit and given to charity. Like, yeah, hypothetically, but realistically what would have happened is I would have just bought the stock Felt bad, probably made a little bit of money, sold, and maybe repeated the process a bunch of times. But I, that's, that's, that's why for me, like sometimes it hurts, but sometimes I i guess I just will uh, steer clear of a company just like I previously would have steer clear of Woolworths because of their um, poking machines.
2: Hmm. And I know you mentioned um, when we were talking off air about how much grey area there can be when it comes to figuring out if if a company aligns with your values or not. Is there any sort of strategies you'd suggest for newer investors who are looking at a company and they're just not sure if it aligns with their values? In some ways, they're doing great things. In some ways, they're not doing so great things. And how do you balance that grey area?
1: Yeah. Well, you can go the intellectual route. And it gets really complicated, which is also fine. Or you can just be like, how does it feel? How does it feel in my tummy, if I went and told my friend who doesn't care about investing but does care about trees, um, what I was doing? You know, would I be embarrassed to tell them? Um, it's just how does it feel? And and what I'm trying to get at is this is also how you potentially unlock the power of ethical investing, is because that feeling is the same. Th- feeling that you will need when you invest in a really good company that's doing well in the world, that um, is run by honest, competent people and uh, is growing, part of the ingredient to make money out of that really good one that you found is to have the confidence to hold on to those winners. And that's why I see um, ethical investing as leading into this idea of affinity And how it feels, because that's the same conviction you will actually need to have a really big winner. Like, I'm not advertising, don't fall in love with stocks like I did at the beginning because it's a renewable energy stock or it's a lithium stock or whatever the story is. And don't fall in love with that and stop being a a good investor and an analyst, which is a whole different set of skills. But you still do need to have that affinity. It's going to be really hard to win big on a company that you have a disaffinity for anyway. Mm. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, Mm. definitely important for sticking through those tough times when a company uh, doesn't have a a good week, day, year, month. Um, You need to have that confidence um, that it aligns with your values there. Mm. Um, There's
0: one thing that we're going to talk to you about, Claude, which is just an article that you wrote, which we'll link to in the show notes from a year ago, um, which is basically engaging management and speaking to management. I know that plays, we've talked previously about how important that is. Um I've got your kind of bullet points of what you know why these things are important. So some of the things you've said is try and find the CEO or manager's direct email. Uh, you can try and guess at the naming convention. so first initial. last name at company or first name at company.com. Um, be formal, polite and introduce yourself as a shareholder, an ally. Do not be aimless. have a specific question and be very succinct. Demonstrate that you have tried to answer the question yourself. And thank them for reading your email and leave contact details so they know exactly who you are and ideally enough information for them to find your online presence so a lot of people think that they can't reach out to management because they're just a small shareholder um
1: yeah it's and i'll tell you hmm? my aha moment there was so because i was doing law and i was interested in renewable energy i did like um a, a renewable energy law thesis for which I needed to um, interview a bunch of renewable energy companies that were listed on the ASNs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was just this, like, honoured student that was like, all right, I want to talk to all these CEOs. And that's how I learned that if you could just guess their email, which is usually trivially easy after mm-hmm. a few tries, and you reach someone, if you're like, hey, this is me, I'd love to talk to you about you know, the thing that you're always thinking about, like their company, um, and just make sure you have just like like one little good, like a little good question, which means that how do you ask a good question means you have to have like, for example, read their letter in the annual report and, you know, read, you know, a little bit of reading and thinking. And and it's that, uh, it's the old coding, you know, quest response. What have you tried? Like, (laughs) Google it first. If you can find the answer in Google easily, then you shouldn't ask it to the CEO. But when you find something um, that's like a good thing to ask, then yeah, do it. You'll you'll be surprised. And um, in particular, the smaller companies are usually will have time to reply to people. And, and it's always a good um, it's a good sign um, if people will talk to you. Generally speaking, although you know it's not hard and fast rule sometimes they come back with spin or or just a bit too into marketing but most of the time it's a great result.
0: Can I just ask you quickly then um this idea of this is kind of related to that point which is shareholder activism. Can you explain what that means and I guess just what can it can it work?
1: Yeah. Um so shareholder activism is so one side of ethical investing is oh which I've talked about a lot, is like, oh, I won't own shares in that because I don't like it. Another approach is to buy shares in a company and become a shareholder and then agitate as a shareholder for change. And just like the the strategy of not owning shares at all, shareholder activism is something that works when there's like lots of, there's lots of people doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's usually hard to, um, at least in the sense we're talking about it, right? It's usually hard to point to an example where <clears throat> one particular shareholder has quickly won. However, a good example we've already touched on today is I would say that um, Woolworth divesting their liquor and gaming stuff um, is an example of shareholder activism sort of having an impact there. Um
0: RPM Global did a similar thing recently. They divested one of their businesses too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, there's a lot of examples of shareholders successfully making um, the company cease some kind of business they're doing that's not um, great. And that's, per, like, that's part of the ethical investing ecosystem, right? Because it's really hard to effectively send market signals to these businesses. Hey, if you do dodgy stuff, your share price might go lower because people won't buy you, right? It's harder to send that signal when everything's like a conglomerate, it's all mixed up. Once you separate out the uglier bits, then that allows the market to express a view on on that uglier bit. Mm. And it it allows the part of ethical investing, which is about what you own or or don't own, um, is allowed to play out more effectively. So... You know, that's part of it. Um, I don't think, you know, I think generally speaking, shareholder activism for ethical or moral reasons is, you know, often ineffective, but that's true of the approach of I won't own shares in such and such a company as well. So ethical investing is always something that if you zoom in on one single action by one single person, it just looks like they did nothing. Mm. But it works through like time and the weight of capital over over a long period, basically. And that's why it's so exciting that younger people are in much higher percentages sending their superannuation to ethical managers. And that that's bringing
2: change to the world. For sure. And I think that leads into the next question that we actually received from a listener a few weeks ago about whether small shareholders have any chance in influencing a company and board. And the listener asks, um, how does how does one as a small shareholder influence boards and to be more proactive in listening to shareholders? Uh, they said, unless you it seems that unless you're a majority shareholder with the ability to vote down remuneration, your voice is lost in the masses. And so, I don't know if you have any tips and things that have worked for you. I know um, one thing I've I've personally seen before is going to an AGM. People have actually stood up and. Ask questions um, and quite like critical questions about what the company is doing in different areas.
1: Mm. Yes, and that's definitely one way you can do it. But I have to say, I can understand why it might feel like that for that questionnaire, But <clears throat> no, an individual shareholder can make a difference. But the way you might do it, since you're not a, since we're not like a big, a single big uh, monolith that can you know vote down a rem report. Mm. What we can do, I mean, look. Let's look at how the how the boomers have been doing it. Right, they've got the Australian Shareholders Association, um, which is where they get together and like. Then they ha- have appointed people that they, um, you know, go and ask their questions and all that sort of stuff. And which is more, you know, about their ethics and what they care about. Often, you know, they want franking credits or something. Um, but that's their activism. They're bounding together and they're like give us franking credits, um and that's good good for them it's uh, we're better off for the, the shareholder activism i'll leave aside that specific question but um generally speaking they that process leads to much better gov- governance much better information disclosure that kind of thing is um <clears throat> how uh people have got companies to at least start reporting on what climate cha- well environmental impacts they have and stuff like that so there's Um, a long history of older generations like binding together to do that and younger generations just the same but you don't need to do it through some old association you do it through Twitter you do it through emailing people you do it through Storman you you can write in you can talk to each other go to the AGM as much to ask the question as to talk to other shareholders Mm. because you'll be surprised even though the voice of one the email of one shareholder to the investors at company.com yeah look That may not have a massive effect, but taking that idea and if it's a good idea and a good point and the company should be doing this better and their business would be better if they did it better, you'll be surprised how quickly they'll respond to that if the company sees that idea spreading amongst their shareholders. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they don't do what you want, like you will get their attention and you will not be lost amongst the masses if they see that idea spread. So, you know, Tell tell me tell own tell all the people you know and you start telling enough people. If the idea is good, it will take out and you and you will be heard. I I'm, you know, in most companies you do that. It's just for a bigger company, might you, you might need the idea to spread more, but no matter what, you can get heard. Yes.
0: Well, look at um, GameStop. It's probably the opposite thing, but yeah. it's still shareholder activism. It's just an extreme. The version power of it.
1: Reddit. Yeah. The look, power of yeah. Reddit.
0: Yeah. Right. So there's tools that we probably never thought could ever be. Considered shareholder activist tools are definitely shareholder activist tools.
1: It's and, fair, s- and it's
0: similar thing we had in Australia with Tyro, right? When Tyro payments was going down and getting shorted, um, people rallied together, and they just happened to have one great big shareholder who took their side. So,
1: mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah, it can the, be done. It's the era of the. I think we've been potentially seeing even more of these sort of short squeezes lately, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know uh, that that's not, that's of course a bit aside from long term investing because no if you're not sure and you're not a short term investor the 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 ups and downs the battles along the way of public opinion and that kind of stuff is probably um you know it's not the main game
0: mm. so how about so we've got so just in closing mate we've got a lot of investors who might be new to this so they might have you know four or five positions they might have some etfs what are some of the key lessons that you would love to impress upon people who are interested in ethical investing? I guess it's a summary of what you've covered.
1: Yeah, the, well, the, key, the absolute key thing is it's the upside of um, unlocking that part of yourself is massive, okay? So um, ethical investing is going to be more fun and more profitable for most people, in my view, um, for simple reasons. Um, <clears throat> the investing sites like, don't ever go. So don't ever go too far, and and forget that you're investing to make money. But if you're investing to make money, and you try to be attracted to those companies that you think are doing good things that you know a little bit about, um, look, you could be into computer games, and you're, you 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 read about, you know, both in Australia and overseas, computer game companies. There's one. Um, Company called uh, Unity Software, which I you know I like playing computer games. This is the software that game mm-hmm. designers are like more and more using to design awesome. games. I feel like games is like computer games is going to, is like a growth industry. Um, this is not a recommendation. I do not know this stock well. I'm I focus on ASX. That's just me playing, um, but that kind of thing I couldn't. You know I'm attracted to that kind of stock. I would not be surprised if you know, through the process of owning it and following it for many years, I like learn heaps about um, that business. And you tend, you tend to be able to um, have more of a passion for um, learning about the businesses and investing. If you're investing in companies that you find interesting, it's, it's about affinity, right? Mm-hmm. So that's years ago, I made the best investing decision I ever made, which was like, I think healthcare is really important. Great industry, love it, love it. I think software and tech is, you know, also interesting the way to what like is going to make the world better and be profitable and et cetera. I combined the two and said, I'm going to look at every single, um, every single med tech stock on the ASX. And I think you can still find the article on my old ethical investing site, ethical equities. Uh, I think it's like a med tech watch list or something like that. Um, And I was just like, "Eh, just experiment, you know, imagine if you bought one of all of these random medtech stocks and I actually owned a few of them or even most of them, but that's what I was doing is I was buying all the medtech stocks, learning about them and then staying invested in um, the best ones. And from that list, let me tell you, like, there's a few companies that like went to zero, but there's like one company, um, you know, which I mentioned before ProMedicus, which has gone up since that time about 60 times, you know, in the, in 60 times in seven years like you find one thing like that um and actually have the have the feels to hold on for at least not sell all your shares the, the, when it doubles That's the
2: challenge isn't it
1: yeah you know, <laughs> but it's not that wasn't even the only stock on the list that like did well from when I wrote that list as well like those compu medics and something like that and there's a, and then it's just find the area that you're most interested in and that you think is good and then that will power you um, to have the psychology and the drive and the interest to actually cultivate the hobby of investing, um, which started for me as a hobby when I was at university and supposed to be doing my law assignments, you know, (laughs) Uh, and I never become became the employee that wasn't doing their job because they were looking at stocks because all of my jobs then subsequently basically involved (laughs) me looking at stocks. Um, But that's what I was doing at university as well. Um, And, and that, even that silly start investing in pie in the sky, clean tech stuff, at least it ignited my passion and put me on a good path there. So that's where I think the power of it lies.
0: I don't know if you know this, if this was like a plant or not, but I actually just Googled your article and I scrolled down and I said, oh, there's two comments on there. This is from six years and two months ago. I said, good to see you back on ethical equities, Claude. Always oh, enjoyable read. And then you said, Legend. thanks Owen. I had the day off today, so decided to do a follow-up. <laughs> this is from right. six years ago. I totally forgot about that. That's awesome. So I'll put a link uh, there. That's um, Small Worlds, mate. Awesome. And it, yeah, I'm just looking at some of the companies. Um, yeah, crazy. So go ahead and read that. Um, but Claude, it's been heaps of fun, mate. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, uh, maybe they even want to you know get involved with what you're doing at Rich Life, How could, what, what, what can they do? How can they find you?
1: Yeah. Um- yeah, I am uh, I love it when people follow me on Twitter. It's like a locked account. So it takes a while for me to like go through and see who you are if I want you to follow me. But yeah, and then <laughs> of course, A Rich Life has a Twitter. Anyone can follow that. And um, there's um, A Rich Life, my website. Uh, please do check it out. Um, we've got news. We've got um, arts and culture content. And we've got my column, which is ethical investing, which is – um, ethical equities rather. And that's me talking about my journey, writing about stocks and and also uh, whimsical little education pieces um, like we touched on today.
2: Yeah, great, yeah. mate. And I think, yeah, Twitter is a good place to start. I, I, a lot of people have got their start with investing. Um, there's a lot of junk out there, but having a look through, there's a few diamonds and you can follow um, the journeys of other interesting investors and get lots of different perspectives uh, rather than just hearing one side of the story, which is really important when investing.
0: Yeah. I think we were saying just before this, when Claude asked you off air before how you and I, like how your journey started, and that kind of showed how you and I met each other, Kate, which is through Twitter. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, if you want to speak with Claude or you want to follow Claude or rich life, a rich life au is the twitter handle um but if you head to the website you can also find out how to reach claude as well if you're interested in what he has to say and follow along with some of the companies and other stuff that he does mate always a pleasure thanks for everything that you do and thanks for joining us today really appreciate it
1: thank you both for having me it's it's really great and i you know also love what you're doing and can't wait to see how it all evolves
2: thanks mate awesome thanks claude